Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles. And today, early reviews of the new HomePod are out. We're going to talk about that. Samsung released the Galaxy S23 Ultra with a huge megapixel camera. I want to talk about that. How to not get your kid to accidentally order $1,000 on Grubhub on your iPhone. And we'll talk about some other various things like foldable Macs and such. This episode is brought to you by Collide. And joining me this week is my friend Wes Hilliard. How's it going, Wes? Okay, Stephen. Uh, surviving the winter anyway surviving the winter uh, to help you survive have you ordered any uh, big home pods to keep you company oh yeah yeah I, I ordered a stereo pair for the living room oh you did oh mm-hmm. now you did you have the og did you have any ogs around oh my house is full of home pods i have oh, i believe you? four original home pods yeah black or white did you get black or midnight or white uh midnight because white uh, is midnight, uh the yeah. devil so <laughs> Well, we'll see. We're going to talk about some, you know, also make marks if you have wood. So we'll get to that in a second. But I want to mention too, we, we've talked about the M2 Max on last episode. Andrew O'Hara had an official review for the 16-inch M2 Max MacBook Pro. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Basically, these computers are really fast and uh, they're really good. Year-over-year upgrade, maybe not necessary if you have an M1 Pro or M1 Max. But if you're coming from an Intel machine, my goodness, you will be uh, probably blown away. So it's really cool. But I think it's the first time, at least me personally, I'm not tempted to upgrade my MacBook Pro. Like my M1 Pro is so good, so fast. The hardware has not changed year over year. I feel like I'm okay. I don't need to upgrade. I mean, the new stuff is great. I mean, it, I would, def, I would you, you'd see a performance boost going to like the new processors and stuff. But do you really need to upgrade your Ferrari to a faster Ferrari, you know, it's right. <laughs> yeah. I do. Uh, I do side eye my Mac studio because I'm seeing all these benchmark graphs being tweeted or whatever. And it will show the M two max MacBook pro outperforming the M one max Mac studio. Obviously it's the M two max as opposed to M one, but I have the M one max Mac studio. And so the M one ultra is still the top of the heap when it comes to performance, but I didn't get the ultra. I got the M1 Max. And so, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm like, do I want to go M2 Ultra when that comes out? But it's not like I'm ever running into a bottleneck with my workflow. Like I'm editing 4K footage. My Mac Studio flies through it. I never have to wait for anything. Nothing ever beach balls. So it's really not necessary to upgrade. So I'm going to resist as long as possible. It goes it goes back to that conversation about um, the storage being slower in the base model Mac Mini or because they're using one SSD instead of two. Right. That, that, that conversation always drives me insane because the fact that people, I, I don't I don't know why, but they think that they're ma- maxing out their SSD speeds every time they copy and paste something. That's just, that's not how it works. Uh, you need very specific yeah, workflows yeah. to max out SSD speeds. And the person buying that base model Mac Mini is never going to hit the peak, even at this slightly slower speed. It's just, it's hilarious. I don't know. Yeah. You're getting less bandwidth because you're using one chip calm down like yeah not a big big deal deal. and then then you look at like these high-end chipsets and people are talking about oh you know which chip to get like you said do i get the m1 ultra and it's like man if you can't even peg the m1 max can can you possibly it's unnecessary the m2 ultra (laughs) and on top of that like it's 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 just funny again watching the internet uh, react to things like the m2 pro being faster than the m1 max it's like yeah because yeah each and every one of those cores and the CPU are faster and it has more of them. Right. It doesn't matter right. that it's the Max versus the Pro. Um and then the it's yeah, a, so it's a completely new generation leap. So that the M the M2 Ultra, I'll say, will be an exciting chip. I mean 
it's not gonna it's still not gonna be mac pro thirty five thousand dollar speeds but um it'll definitely be pretty nice i will say the the m2 pro mac mini of all the macs out there right now i think that that is just one of the most fascinating because you can get so much horsepower in the body of a mac mini for the price of a mac mini i mean it is obviously more expensive when you go m2 pro versus m2 if you wanted a powerful machine without spending Mac Studio money and you already have displays and all that kind of stuff, that M2 Pro Mac Mini is really great. I mean, it's just an awesome product. That's a good price. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. Very quickly, Apple did hold its quarter one earnings call Thursday afternoon where they announced $117 billion in revenue. But that is a decline from the $123 billion reported last year at the same quarter. This is the first year-over-year quarterly drop in revenue for Apple since 2019. Apple did set an all-time revenue record in their services business at $20.8 billion for this quarter. Apple CFO Luca Maestri said even in spite of the difficult macroeconomic environment and significant supply constraints they experienced, Apple did say they now have 2 billion active devices, including the iPhone, Mac, Apple Watch, and their other products. Tim Cook also commented that Apple Pay Later, the feature they announced back in the fall, is still coming soon. So I want to talk about HomePods. Early HomePod reviews came out earlier this week. And I mean, Wes and I will both have them in hand, but they deliver Friday sometime. So we'll have to do our hands-on impression on the next episode. But early reviews came out. I felt bad for uh, Brian Tong. He uh, did a video review, and I guess he played a bunch of music while he was trying to talk about the HomePods. And his YouTube video, I don't know if it got taken down or just a copyright strike so he couldn't monetize it. But he ended up like putting it on Dropbox and telling people, just download it because he couldn't get around the the music thing, which is a difficult problem. You know, if you are a YouTuber and you're trying to do a review of something audio-based, you know, you can just talk about it. It's, it's difficult to play something. I, Justine, I watched her video, MKBHD, and a couple others, but I, Justine, basically played stock music from something like, you know, uh, epidemic sound or whatever and this way youtube wasn't going to strike it because even as you listen to it but trying to gauge the sound quality as she said in her video from her lapel mic you're not really getting a great idea from it so like it's hard to review audio stuff (laughs) like a homepod audio and video both like if you're reviewing a display you can't point a camera at a display and be like look how good this looks it just it doesn't work right um, it, it is funny to me that people try to play music. I get it for the uh, theatrics of making a video, but yeah. you, you use uh, Brian's been in the game long enough. He should know that you you can get plenty of non-licensed music or uh, music that's just ex- exceeded the licensing law or whatever. Just just go use that instead. But what what do you think of the uh, review so far? The review is interesting. I mean, I think largely MKBHD, I Justine, they were all like. It sounds really similar to the first generation HomePod. And so if anything, the removal of the two tweeters or whatever and the microphones like doesn't matter. Like if you enjoyed the quality of the original HomePod and you liked that sound, you're going to be getting that. Some of them, like I just was like, maybe it's a hair better, but it's, it's imperceptible. And so if you liked the sound of the original HomePod, you still get that but you get a faster Siri. Obviously, this is a faster chip and temperature and humidity sensor if that really matters, but more so like I think the smart home, like matter and thread. So, it's, I mean, it's really just an iterative improvement. The removable cable is cool. I, for some reason, I missed that at the announcement, but all the YouTube videos, you know, you can unplug the cable, plug it back in. That's a nice feature. It's, it's a standard figure eight plug. 
too. So right. you can order longer cables or different kinds of cables. Uh, get one that's yeah. four inches long and plug it into your kitchen counter outlet. Like, oh yeah, yeah. There, there's there's new ways to play with this, so that'll be fun. That is cool. One thing. This was a controversy that happened with the first HomePod, especially the white version. If you were to put it on a wooden desk or table, it would leave a very distinct white ring on the bottom of the HomePod. And MKBHD had the old one, he had the new one, and he did a little, uh, I think it was a YouTube short or a TikTok video, and he was like, the old one still makes the rings. If you put it on a wooden surface, there'll be a white ring at the bottom of the HomePod. The new one, he did it like three times. He put it down, he picked up the new one, it made a ring. Did it the second time, a little bit less distinct of a ring. Third time, no ring. And so maybe it's a matter of wiping down the bottom of the HomePod before you place it on a wooden surface if you're worried about the ring. It is a different design. The original HomePod had a concave design where it like goes up into the HomePod. It's like a small crater at the bottom, whereas the new HomePod Generation 2, it's a flat bottom. But for whatever reason, the ring is still an issue. It fit, That feels like a weird thing to me. Well, not like on Apple line. Well, it's not really Apple's fault. Uh, this will happen anytime you put any kind of uh, rubber device on a finished wood table. Uh, there, it's just a combination of factors here. We're dealing with basic chemistry. First off, don't put this on finished wood anywhere. Uh, it doesn't matter how many times you pick it up and put it down. If it sits there long enough, it's going to do it because the rubber material is performing basically a chemical reaction with the finish of the wood and it's basically exchanging mm. uh, chemicals through the like the porous rubber material and you're going to pull mm. the like color out but it's fine because as soon as you remove the home pod and let it sit for a few minutes and wipe it wipe the table down it'll go back to the way it was it's just kind of like kind of like when you put a magnet on a T CRT TV back in the day and change the color. If you flip the magnet over and do it again, it, it flips the pixels back and uh, it's hopefully fine. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's just a chemical reaction. Uh, get a coaster, put it on a, a doily, a mat, anything other than a bare wooden table. You'll, you'll be fine. There's no avoiding this. If Apple wants their speaker to sound the way it does, every single piece of equipment on this home pod is part of the audio tuning, including the bass, right? So if they included yeah. a plastic bass or even did a rubber bass with a plastic mat underneath it, it would, it would change the audio signature and they'd have to recalibrate everything. It, it wouldn't sound as good because it would sound hollow. Um, that rubber bass is actually performing a function. It's absorbing the audio bass, making it less vibrate -y. Woofer fires upward, right, instead of downward. So, right, right, right. So again, it's just, it's, it's part of the audio experience and, and changing any of that would mess it up. And it, it I guess it seems un Apple like, but I, I don't know how you would avoid it. Sure. And Apple doesn't have a ton of devices that you put on wooden surfaces like the Apple TV. You might put that box somewhere, but it only comes in black. And I guess maybe it's less of an issue with something like that because the bottom I have one right here. Let me see. So the HomePod mini has a plastic bottom. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, if you tap it, it's kind of a plastic material. It's not like a hard plastic, but it's definitely plastic. So uh, because it's so mm. small, it doesn't produce that much base. It doesn't need the um, rubber, like base absorption type thing, right? Right, right. And the Apple TV, I just felt one here in my studio, and it's that plastic bottom. Like it's a hard mm. plastic, which again, Apple TV is not making any sound, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's this just, is just purely for vibration, yeah. stuff. I did enjoy the Digital Trends YouTube review of the HomePod because they really have a home theater angle when it comes to their reviews. And he was saying, you know, you get a pair of these paired with your Apple TV, 
you get spatial audio. It can do Dolby Atmos, virtual surround, and all that. When it comes to watching movies and TV shows with a pair of HomePods connected to an Apple TV, it sounds really, really good. Like, dialogue is very crisp and understandable. You do get a little bit of the surround effect where you hear things that are above, sometimes even bouncing off behind you. And when you look at the alternatives for a home theater setup like that, for instance, I have a Sonos Beam soundbar in a bedroom, but that costs $450 new. And that alone does not sound anywhere near as good as two HomePods because it doesn't have the low end. It doesn't have the bass. And so if you wanted to get even the Sonos Sub Mini, which I have paired with that Beam, that's $429, you're talking at $900 for a Sonos Beam and a Sonos Sub Mini. Even if you just compare that $900 to the $600 on a pair of HomePods, the HomePods, I think if, when it comes to a home theater experience, if you're wanting something for a living room or even a larger room, or you could do a bedroom if your setup you know, works like that, a pair of HomePods for a home theater I think is a better value. And I would even say sometimes a better sound. Like I think I've preferred a pair of HomePods connected to an Apple TV. I use that for a while. It sounds just as good, if not slightly better than even a Sonos Beam and a Sub Mini. I can't, I don't know about the Arc and the big Sonos Sub because I have that in another room and that does sound pretty incredible. I don't think the HomePods beat that, but there you're talking about like $2,000 for the Arc and the Sub. So a pair of HomePods, for a home theater, I think it's still just a great, great value. Easy setup, put two home pods on either side of your TV and you're good to go. So, and that's where you're going to be putting yours, you said, right? I'm, it's going to be redundant because I have a um, 5.1 Sonos, the home theater system. Oh. It, it's it's the it's the pre-smart like Alexa stuff, uh, Sonos. So it's the mm-hmm. Play Bar, Play 3s right. were the names of the older ones. So if you guys look those up, it's not whatever they call them now which I think is like Sonos 1, Sonos whatever. Yeah. Um, do they even make the 3s anymore? I don't think they do. Um, I don't think. It's like 1SL, 1, and Play 5. Yeah, they skipped the 3s this generation. So I have the 3s yeah. as my rear speakers. I have a Play Bar, which is their original, well, not original, like third gen, whatever, yeah. 2015 era sound bar. And um, I have the Sonos Sub, which is, again, the the not new um, smart, smart uh, Alexa system sub with uh atmos whatever they're doing these days um <laughs> that system's powerful i mean at the time i think it was like 2200 dollars. it's a that's you can't compete with that sub the subwoofer alone is 600 dollars, and right. you can put in a homepod mini inside of the air gap right like yes. it's gigantic <laughs> but it is the homepods are really powerful and from what i've heard yeah is these new ones do even better with uh, bass. They they do better with the lows, and they're doing better at soundstage reproduction. Audio's got more layers. It's going to sound like it's coming from more directions. They're able to reproduce vocals better from what I've read. It's definitely going to be a better audio experience, and I'm excited because I'm going to mount these in the living room where there's already a, a 5.1 Sonos system. I'm going to put on each wall, um, left and right, a HomePod wall-mounted. Um, I, have, I got these little stands. They're going to be a little bit above head height across the room. I don't know, 14 feet. That's basically, imagine if you're sitting on, in a couch and you have the sound bar in front of you, subwoofer next to it. Yeah. And behind you across the room is the Play 3s. Well, 
next to you straight center left and right. That's where the home pods are. So mm. I'm going to have those there for music. These I want to compare between the Sono system and the home pods directly. I want to see how it sounds playing movies and music. It's going to be an interesting comparison because I expect the home pods might actually sound better and do better yeah. sound reproduction than the play bar and play threes. The only place it might fall I'm expecting is super heavy bass scenes. Like I'm going to play mm. the uh, Greyhound and go to like a war scene. And I expect the subwoofer to beat those out with the booming cannons and such. But with uh, everything else, I think it's probably going to beat it out. And it's going to be very tempting to maybe get rid of my Sonos system. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, again, I, I will say I've used a pair of HomePods for about a year with a TV and man, like it is impressive how good it sounds. So we'll see. We'll, we'll get them in hand. Shipping times did kind of move a little bit, uh, depending on which color you were getting and your location. And so when they come out in store, you might still be able to grab some on day one, but they are delivering Friday, February 3rd. So as you listen, as you listen to this, as uh, supporters tomorrow, everybody else uh, today, they'll be coming out and uh, yeah, I'll be posting some thoughts. Like I'm, I'm very interested. I have a single big home pod here in my studio and this is going to be complete overkill but i'm going to be putting those pair of big home pods here in the studio to replace it oh i have a pair of i have a pair of originals in my office and it's not a very large office it's a bedroom you know right right yeah it, they they overtake generally i have them set to like 10 percent to just kind of be right background noise but if i so, yeah. but every now and then it's like oh yeah i'll move it up to 50 50 is about as loud as i want it <laughs> yeah now they get they get loud and I forget which YouTube review it was of the new HomePods, but they like cranked it all the way up and it still remains clear and like the clarity is great, no distortion. And th there's actually been a couple of interviews, I guess, uh, Apple execs going on. Let's see. Yeah. VP of hardware engineering, Matthew Costello and product marketing, Alice Chan talked to men's journal and TechCrunch about the new HomePods. One was basically like reasoning away the whole Wi-Fi four thing. Like why such the old, whatever talked about being energy efficient or whatever i don't know about they that, don't need it anyway yeah, they don't <laughs> yeah that's i mean it's plugged into the yeah. wall these, these are not like battery powered but uh costello was saying that the new home pod delivers obviously room filling sound but they isn't really harping on the more detail and clarity of the audio coming from these new home pods this is the first official apple statement i've seen comparing the home pods and yeah i again i don't know why people were like oh i don't know if it'll sound as good because they're missing those tweeters i'm like apple is not going to release yeah, a product know. named the same at the same price and it sound worse if anything it would sound the same but yeah um to anyone's ear it'll probably be like oh yeah that's music i've heard that before you know i mean nobody's <laughs> like going in and listening like oh look listen to this guitar riff right here but uh most people be like oh yeah that sounds like a rihanna song that i've heard before um in the, in the car you know <laughs> it sounds like you're subtweeting the uh, the uh, lossless audio files well again you know <laughs> they, they claim they can hear mercury moving in a thermometer so just <laughs> sue me People who do appreciate music, not I'm not talking about crazy levels of listening, but people who, who sit down and listen and appreciate um, audio things like that, high-end audio users, not so much audio files, I expect you'll you'll notice. And I, I, I'm excited because I do pay attention to certain things like that. And I will be uh, setting up a pair of these next to um, regular HomePod, uh, the original HomePod, and just switching back and forth and trying certain tests out and stuff just, just to hear the difference. And I expect yeah. uh, to notice, so... It'll be interesting. Same. I'm going to put it through some paces, listen to a pair of old ones, listen to the pair of the new ones, and we will report back for sure. I wanted to mention very briefly, this is not Apple related. This is Samsung, but being one of the main competitors of Apple, I thought it was 
good to note the S23 line of the Galaxy phones are out. The Galaxy S23, the S23 Pro, and the S23 Ultra. And the plus, you know, they do the plus. Oh, excuse me. Sorry. The, the S23 Plus, which I guess Apple has a plus and a pro and a pro max now. So can't no, no shade. All the new Samsung Galaxy phones came out. The one tech spec that kind of caught my eye was that the S23 Ultra has a primary camera that is 200 megapixels. Most of the time it's binning. Yeah. Most of the time you will get 16 to 12 megapixel photos. It's not like, basically a meaningless spec. I mean, it's a great marketing spec. Great marketing spec. Like, again, it caught my eye. I was like, 200 megapixels. What are you doing with that? Well, you're binning the things. Just like on the iPhone 14 Pro, you're binning the pixels. You get 12 megapixel photos most of the time. A notable difference here that, I mean, again, the magnitude is is different. You, you're not taking 200 megapixel photos on the no. same. Like, even... I, I know they usually include a setting for this. It's bad. Like you're not going to go out of your way to take 200 megapixel photos on these on these phones. Versus Apple's 40 megapixel sensor is actually usable, not in in moderate to bright light. So I always look at these specs and it's like, yeah, it's great on a sheet of paper. And Samsung loves playing the spec game, yeah. but I just don't see it as being very useful to consumers, except for increasing processing time and uh, sharpness. <laughs> but I will say, I mean. That's all I really have about Samsung, but take some recent photos with the iPhone 14 Pro in Pro Raw and then throwing those photos over to Lightroom and editing them. Take some great pictures like it really does. I, I use Darkroom on the iPhone and it's Darkroom. an amazing uh, photo editor. I don't know if anyone's tried it yet. Uh, I, I believe they have a system where you can actually download other people's filters and stuff like that. Oh. It's a really, it's a really good photo editing app, and it and it addresses the Pro Raw um, spec really well. So I've been using that to edit Pro Raw photos lately, and okay. yeah, just just a magnificent um, workflow. And I wanted to while we're in Android world, I wanted to mention. <laughs> yes. uh, did you read um, Gruber's uh, Mastodon story? about android clients versus ios clients i did not read it but why don't you summarize it for well, us Well, basically it's the, it's the story is old as time like developers seem to have different priorities across the platforms and you go to android and the best that they have to offer a mastodon user is the official mastodon app and everything else feels like right. half finished projects rushed jobs nothing mm. nothing that would even get released on ios because like the developer making it would be like this isn't even done versus and then like the best one is uh like they have like a macedon client with, that's like two with three o's <laughs> or something like that it's not great yeah I, I think that's the official client too oh. yeah and apparently it's just it doesn't feel as good as the worst iphone um ios like developed app because and then you look at ios and in the last three weeks we've had like five or six major clients from huge twitter developers yeah you know ivory of course is out mona mammoth mammoth is really i've tried yep. mammoth i i like uh, that they have an onboarding flow yes. like i feel like more people should adopt that like why not have your own server attached to your app and just bring people in of course now you're in it for life never <laughs> you <Yeah>. can't disband <laughs> your server right it'll be interesting seeing this but uh move forward of Macedon in general but I, I that conversation always comes up just and it's always interesting to look over the, over the fence at what Android's doing and the answer is usually not great I get it <laughs> I understand again I, we've talked about it at nauseum here 
I understand Android's appeal. I, I like the nerdy sure. stuff, being able to go in and tweak your font settings or whatever and changing your entire layout and UI using a oh yeah, a yeah, skin, yeah. Uh, an Android skin. You can you, you can f- fully skin Android to make it look like launchers. L- and all launchers, kind of yeah, like you, you can you yeah. can go crazy and like it just it feels like a hobby. Like it feels like a hobbyist project. Like I, I basically the way I compared it, and I know this is mean, but it it's a jab. It's it's a fair jab of iOS being where work is done and art is created, and Android is kind of like that shed full of unfinished projects that you're meaning to get to. <laughs> that's and that's 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 how I feel anyway. I think so. I will say I have a Pixel Six A, so I can at least speak to like because I've set it up. I use it. I have to film different things on it, different apps. You know, the app ecosystem is is obviously not there. Like, I don't know what Android user could argue that Android has a more vibrant third-party app ecosystem than Apple. Like, it's just not true. You know, when you look at task apps or calendar apps, like Fantastical, can't get an Android, nothing equivalent on the Android platform. Things and those, like you can get some to-do apps, like Todoist is on Android and all that. But if you like the aesthetic of things and you like that, just UI paradigm, which I think leans more towards iPhone. Like you just can't get that on Android. I will say Android has some little touches here and there that are nice. For instance, I just plugged in my 6A as you were talking because it was dead because I, I never use it. <laughs> but when you plug it in on the lock screen, it tells you at the very bottom, charging rapidly, full in two hours. Now, when you plug in an iPhone, you get the little dial that pops up. It's a nice little UI. You can kind of guesstimate how long it's going to take to charge. But I like that this Android phone tells me not only that it's charging, but it's charging rapidly. I think it would be helpful to know sometimes, you know, if you have a bunch of different like plugs, things from Anchor, things from Hyper, you're putting into one of those USB like charging hubs. Like it'd be nice if the iPhone said, I'm charging rapidly right now. Or actually there's too many devices plugged into this thing. So I'm just charging normally. Like that's a nice little detail that just me as kind of a nerd, maybe you could say, I enjoy seeing that it's charging rapidly and that it gives me the exact estimate of like full in two hours and it'll count down. It'll say, you know, hundred percent battery in five minutes. And just knowing those little details, that's kind of cool. Like that, that's just one example of a differentiating uh, feature. Those, thing, th- th- those things are neat, but they're also um, party tricks, uh, mostly guesses. Uh, have you ever played a video game and had a loading screen fill all the way up and then start over. Yeah. I mean, even <laughs> loading on Mac, you know, any kind of progress bar loading percentage, you know, you have to estimate, especially it. but it's, try- it's, yeah, trying. it's trying. Yeah. Especially yeah. batteries. It's trying. Now I will also say if you are like all in on the Google ecosystem, you use Google workplace, you're all in on YouTube. You love Google photos. You know, you could make the argument about AI and facial recognition with Google photos versus iCloud photo. You could say maybe Google does it better. If you like all of that stuff, and the apps that you do care about are on Android. If you use 1Password, you can get that on Android. If you love Pocket Casts, you can use that on Android. Like, if you're in that and it has the apps you need, like, I totally get it. I mean, MKBHD says he uses a Pixel 7 Pro as his default phone. Like, again, abs- absolutely. Like, I, I would, I wouldn't tell anyone they're wrong for using an Android phone. I've, I've never been that person. Like, it, it it's user choice. Go nuts. Always look at it from my point of view, and I'm like man, I don't even know where to begin. Like where, what hardware would I even want? Like the pixel I find ugly. Um, the Samsung phones are nice, but complex to a point of not needing to be. I don't know. Like there's just, there's just different things. Like I, I guess I would go probably to a flip 
kind of device just because it's different and fun kind of but if it you know one of those parables of like if someone held a gun to your head and said there's no such thing as an iphone what would you buy i'd probably say an ipad (laughs) but i mean listen i i'm with you like i prefer iphone obviously but it's viable it's it's my only point is it's a viable option it's a viable option real quick an aside too you're talking about mastodon We've talked about Mastodon Twitter before. I would just say, like, I've been wanting, to, I've been posting both places. I still see more engagement on Twitter just because of my following, and Mastodon is still kind of growing. Although a lot of engagement on Mastodon too, even with a smaller audience. So, like, that's a very cool, active ecosystem too. But I was tired of just copy and pasting every tweet and putting it in Mastodon and, and posting it. There is no built-in cross-posting between the services, but. You can connect your Twitter account to Mastodon and any new tweet, including tweets with photos, as I've discovered, it's not perfect. It doesn't post it as a native photo in Mastodon, but you can see a pretty large preview and most people don't even expand photos. You know, they just look at the small photo in the feed. Connect it how? They can, I will put this article in the show notes. It is using IFT, I-F-T-T-T. Did you not see the news? It was working this morning. Oh no. Yeah. This morning. (laughs) Wait, what happened? Uh, Twitter announced... Uh, as of, uh, let, let me find the date. I believe it's February 9th that all third-party APIs um, are dead and, and they're moving to... Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. Not the Twitter um, like app APIs, everything. And they're getting rid of posting tools, basically, and moving to a paid platform. So all free tools that access Twitter through a, API, a web API are going away. No more bots, no more anything no if i don't believe will work apple insiders See, tweet but- system through publisher probably won't work anymore right like <laughs> really this is gonna be catastrophic let me find let me find the news i will no, okay so i did see that news and i assumed it wasn't what i'm doing because if is literally just looking at your public tweets and like that's why to take the image like it can't natively take the image and post it on mastodon the image is literally a twitter link but I can't, like, they're not going to remove public links to a tweet. I'm not fully sure. We're going to have to do some research on this because it's a little, yeah, it's yeah, a little, yeah. it's a little odd. But so the tweet from Twitter dev is starting February 9th, we will no longer support free access to the Twitter API. Both version two right. and version 1.1, a paid basic tier will be available instead. Over the years, hundreds of millions of people have sent over a trillion tweets with billions more every week. And Twitter, Twitter data, they're using Twitter data as the excuse. Twitter data is the one of the world's most powerful data sets. We're committed to enabling fast and comprehensive access so you can continue to build with us. We'll be back with more details. They're talking about sending tweets. Right. So we're talking about anything to do with accessing Twitter. And I believe on if you log in to Twitter, well, that's through the Twitter API. You go to the website, you log in. It does a little handshake with if and brings you back to if that handshake is going away. See, my only thought, you might be correct. I don't know the ins and outs. Find out. <laughs> the, the the only reason I think maybe this will continue to work is because with if this particular take my tweet and put it on my Mastodon account. You don't have to log in with Twitter. You literally just say- You point it at a feed. Tweets from this username. Right. And then as long as every tweet still has a URL that you can visit in a web browser without being logged in. And if they were to take that away, I mean, that would be insane. Let me just say. I think I think workarounds like that will continue to work. If, that's, if it's right. literally looking at a tweet and pulling the text out of it, that should be right. fine because there's nothing they can do about that. It's public information. Right, but you wouldn't be able to post into Twitter. Like I used to have an ift 
of automation where whenever I posted an image to Instagram, it would post it as a native tweet with the image as like a native image. Like it wasn't a link to Instagram. It was just the image in Twitter. I imagine that will be shut down by this API chain. Things like Buffer. I saw um, right. one, of, one of our resources that we use, uh, we, we watch a few accounts because it's useful that talk about iOS updates um, and they, they, they watch Apple servers, you know, so we don't have to set up the system. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to go through all that trouble. So these guys tweet out when updates come out and uh, they're like, yeah, we're not going to be able to do this anymore if this goes away because the automated systems we use uh, will just basically go disappear unless it's really cheap. But like yeah. anything greater than zero dollars is now a cost. Like uh, Christina Warren, I believe it was, was talking about how she uses some sort of tool through um, the terminal to pull tweets. And it, I don't know what she does with it. It's something to do with her work because she says she's going to use it as a write off. But yeah, that tool will no longer work and she's going to have to pay for the new API. So anything that was free before, mm. like the uh, tw tweet, what is it? Tweet to Dawn or whatever, yeah. that's going away. Like it's it's insanity. We'll, we'll see We'll see what happens when they give us more information Ooh. next week. Hopefully, maybe yeah. the blowback will make them change their minds a little bit. But yeah, sorry to interrupt you earlier. It's just, no, you're, you're describing no, it. I'm like, has he not seen the news? <laughs> I did see it. I just thought with this particular instance, like I totally get that you would not be able to auto post tweets right. from a bot. Like, I'm like that API being shut down. But I hope you're right. I hope you're I hope this works. Yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll put a link to the Twitter API tweet with that announcement. Well, at least until February 9th, you have a week where you <laughs> you can for sure take your tweets and auto post them to Mastodon with this step by step instructions. I'll put a link in the show notes. This is mikeindustries.com. He set it up. I, I, I do want to reiterate, like, I will continue to use Twitter until it becomes um, difficult to do so. Like if they charge a literal for you to dumpster tweet, fire. Yeah, like ah, charge per tweet. Yeah, well, so I made a put in a quarter. Yeah, no, I made a joke. I said start. <laughs> oh, I said starting February seventeenth, Twitter users will have to pay for a pack of tweet bucks to interact with the website. <sighs> one oh like is one tweet buck. A retweet is five tweet bucks, and a quote tweet is ten. Get a thousand tweet bucks for ten dollars. Have fun. <laughs> the scary thing is that does not sound totally insane right, right. now. Like the like like just that scenario. Yeah, maybe <laughs> I don't know you got to pay for blue check you got to pay for a retweet I don't even know yeah I mean at, at this point again I, I will continue to check my timeline at least at the very bare minimum I'll check my notifications and mentions and glance at the timeline every now and then and continue to maybe quote tweet or respond to something but I feel like my interactions have been getting less and less because I don't have a lot of followers I mean we're talking about 930 or whatever i mean that's great i've worked on that yeah. but that's not much and i've been on mastodon being active for all of two weeks and i'm already at 200 people i mean i right. think i can easily overshadow my twitter following in a few more weeks if i just give it a little bit of effort a humble humble brag i guess <laughs> i posted a on mastodon just not even expecting it to do anything just kind of commenting on the situation and randomly this weekend this past this past weekend i started getting just blown up with notifications because the creator of mastodon boosted it <laughs> oh wow i was like that's cool. What is happening? And that, that is the fun part about Mastodon right now is it's still a small enough community where that can happen. You know, it is a very invested community. You know, the people who are on Mastodon, again, because that sign-up process is a little convoluted, like the people who are there really want to be there and I think really want it to work. And so that is, you know, there is great engagement on there. That's, you know. It's, it's, it's definitely one of those early day platforms where if you join now while it's still 
chaos and everyone's talking about Twitter and everyone's talking about Mastodon. Like they're talking about the platform on the platform. Everyone's joining joining in together to sing Kumbaya and say, you know, here's this amazing new app, Ivory. And every new update to Ivory, everyone's going to be talking about it. Like sure, it's sure. going to be explosive for at least a few more weeks. This is the time to get in and post literally anything about what's going on and it will get engagement and you can, you can, yeah. you know, start recreating your following. Now, if you've got a hundred thousand followers on Twitter, you're probably not going to find that very easily unless you're just no. really popular. Like I've seen some of these guys, like, you know, eight, like in our sector, like ATP and stuff, they've already hit sure. thousands and thousands. Oh yeah. And like the creator of Mastodon has like 300,000 followers, right? Like right. these, these aren't MKBHD 8 million follower type things. No. And notably, I don't think he's on here yet either. I don't see I Justine like any of that. He hilariously he tweeted out on Twitter, I do not have a Mastodon account. Anyone on there is impersonating me. There's at least three accounts that I know of. And then on Mastodon, I saw Marquez Brownlee at Mastodon's social linking to the tweet saying that there's no. Ma yeah, I thought that was funny. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a little bit of an inception. Again, I think the I'm the first Apple event of this year whether it's March, April, WWDC, whenever it is, I think that will be very telling how active Twitter is versus how active Mastodon is. And I know for myself, during a live event, when I'm trying to actually tweet announcements, like I will not be able to manage both. If this auto-posting from Ift still works then, it'll go to both places, but I will have to be focused on one or the other. If it were to be an Apple event now or next week, I would still be on Twitter first doing the live tweeting. I'm sure that's where MKBHD will be posting his live thoughts. But I also understand there's a large segment of the tech community. You just mentioned the ATP guys, Gruber. Where are they going to be is my question. I, I mean, the ATP guys have just said they are not going to be on Twitter at all. Mike Hurley from Relay.fm is not on Twitter. He announced it on his, you know, on Cortex or whatever. So I, I think it will just be interesting, that first Apple event, how these two platforms will compare as far as activity and engagement and where people go for the info. I'm still not 100% sure that Macedon is the future. It is a future. It is good for nerds. And right. if only because nerds are going to find it. I mean, that was that was my Macedon comment that I made was basically, I think people are gatekeeping Macedon a little bit by calling it difficult to access and for their nerds. Like, uh, So, I, of course, I'm going against my own tweet, but <laughs> it, it, it does feel that way from the inside. And I, like, I think we need to change our language in describing it and how to join and what to do because if we just keep saying it's hard, everyone's going to look at it and say oh that's hard and then not do it like let's talk about how right. all you have to do is join an instance and you're done and then start following people and now that there's so much attention on it the developers have a chance and the Macedon developers the guys who actually make the service are um, openly talking about yeah we're going to add quotes you know we're going to we have a production timeline go donate to our patreon like this is growing we're going to keep uh, adding to it and like so this active development yeah. shows that there's a commitment and that does imply to me that there is some kind of a future here i don't think it'll be twitter because a lot of influencers right. and things can't make money they're not going to you know be able to pull advertising dollars because there's no ads but it will be a place right. to get a following and link to your paid content sure um, sure just like twitter was and i think that is where it's going to balance out for me personally twitter again i'll, I'll keep using it until it, it just is completely disassembled right but i've deleted it off of my ipad mini so like when i'm when i'm off work okay it's mostly just mastodon and so i'm checking twitter okay. twitter during work or maybe a notification on my phone but yeah it's interesting seeing what's happening here yeah i'm following it closely for sure 
This episode is brought to you by Collide. Traditional endpoint security tools can make your workplace feel like a surveillance state, turns users and the IT team into adversaries, and ultimately drive your employees to work on unsecured personal devices. You don't want that. So use Collide as device security solution built around honest security. Their philosophy is that employees aren't your biggest security risk, they're your biggest allies. And your relationship with them should be based on transparency and informed consent. Collide works by notifying your employees of security issues via Slack, giving them step-by-step instructions on how to resolve those issues themselves. So they get a private DM, Collide lets them know how to solve whatever security or privacy issue might be happening, and then you never have to worry about it. For IT and security teams, Collide provides the right level of visibility for Mac, Windows, and Linux devices, and it can answer your questions about your fleet security that traditional mobile device managers can't. You can meet your security goals without compromising your values. Visit collide.com slash Apple Insider to find out how. And if you follow that link, they'll hook you up with a goodie bag just for activating a free trial. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash Apple Insider. Our thanks to Collide for sponsoring this episode. All right, last thing, (laughs) we were on Samsung. I just have one question about the other Samsung announcement, which was the Galaxy Book 3, which is this like foldable, bend it backwards in a triangle, tablet, laptop. I read our article. I read like the Verge's coverage. I went to Samsung's website. What operating system does this thing run? Is it Chrome OS? Windows. It is Windows. It is Windows. Okay, like I just don't see it anyway. Yeah, Chrome Chrome doesn't. (laughs) It's a browser like that. Chrome OS is awful. I don't know why. I any, know. Like, why would you spend more than a dollar on Chrome anyway? Well, yeah. Well, and I just saw Intel i7 or i9, and I was like, peace. I'll come out of here. <laughs> no reason for that. Yeah. So those those computers are very expensive. Uh, they're they're they're, they're kind of cool. I I mean, I understand the again. Yeah, I understand yeah. the appeal, but again, why? Um, if you're spending that much money, it better not be Chrome OS. Um, <laughs> the Pixel Book, Pixel Book was like fifteen hundred dollars. Awful. Once you get over two hundred dollars, <laughs> make sure it runs Windows. That's just if yeah. you're in that ecosystem, just don't. I agree. <laughs> I, I agree. I had to, I had that Pixel Book. Hardware was nice. Chrome OS, not great, not great, not at all. Yeah. I wanted to mention this Grubhub thing just because I thought it was not really funny, but I think it's a cautionary tale. It's kind of funny. It, <laughs> it's kind of funny. This dad in Michigan handed his iPhone to his son, six-year-old kid, ended up ordering $1,000 on Grubhub. Apparently, there was like a $400 pizza order that they were able to cancel before it was delivered, but about $600 of food was delivered to their house. Cautionary tale. A you're going to hand your phone to your kid there's one feature if you don't use it you need to start using it it's called guided access if you go to the settings app on your iphone or ipad you go to accessibility scroll down to guided access you can enable it even just with a triple click on the side button on your iphone what it does is you can lock your device to a single app And then you can even choose to lock all the controls. Like you can make it where no matter what your child or anyone touches physical buttons or screen, nothing happens. Like you have whatever playing in the Disney Plus app. They cannot exit it. They cannot change the volume. They can do nothing. Then you have, you obviously have a passcode that you set to unlock guided access, but you can also choose to allow volume adjustment. You can have them allow touches within the app. So if you want them to be able to go to like a different show, but not go home or leave the app, you can adjust that. Like it is very granular, the controls that you can have with guided access. 
So if you hand your phone to kids or really anyone <laughs> for any reason, I would use the guided access feature. I've used it in the past. It is very, very useful. Whenever I post a little video about it on TikTok or whatever, it blows up because people are like, yeah. didn't know this was a thing. I was just handing my phone to my kid. My kid knows my passcode, which don't do that either. Can we be real, please? Yeah, don't 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 teach your kid that your passcode. That just lets them do anything they want. They can make purchases with your passcode. Exactly. And I will say, you know, I have, I have three kids. They're wonderful children. I use screen time on various uh, devices on my Apple TV. I have, I don't know if I've told this story before, but on the Apple TV, you can set some restrictions. It's not as granular as I would like. I wish the Apple, the restrictions on Apple TV was better. And I wish you could do screen time. A lot of people in the comments on YouTube, I had an Apple TV restrictions video and they were like, are there screen time reports? Can I see how many hours were watched? No, I wish you could. But with that, you can set a passcode for apps by age limit. So you can say any app that has a 12 plus age limit, namely YouTube, you can only access when you put in this four-digit passcode on the Apple TV. That's how I have it set. If we're going to watch YouTube together, we're going to do it as a family. I will unlock it and we'll watch it or whatever because my account is the one that's logged in on the Apple TV app and all that. Anyway. The video of the family getting interviewed was kind of funny to me because they didn't seem all that upset. They were just like, yeah, he's ordered like, you know, this much money. We're glad the credit card caught it. I, I Sure, they were maintaining their composure for the cameras, but I'm just like, man, if you just spent $300 and got him an iPad, none of this would have happened. You spent $600 on food. Congratulations. But and then that made me think, you know what? Apple should do an ad, but like make it kind of like those you wouldn't steal a car so don't don't pirate a movie you know just like those oh yeah you know yeah, yeah. and just be like <laughs> you wouldn't let your kid buy a thousand dollars in grubhub so <laughs> and then just at the end <laughs> be like true. the ipad only 329 <laughs> yeah for, yeah for sure and then the last thing just to finish my story i will just say if you do restrictions on apple tv one of the things is if you use the apple tv remote you have to slide over to each number oh, and oh, click it yeah. so it is obvious to the kid what the passcode is it was done exactly once and my six-year-old daughter memorized the passcode and like weeks later she was like i can unlock it i was like no you can't you don't know this she memorized it she already knew it so if you ha if you're going to do restrictions on apple tv you take out your iphone you swipe down from control center you pull up the apple tv remote app and you can type in the numbers on your iphone it unlocks the apple tv app but it doesn't show what numbers were pressed and so that's how you do it that's how you keep it <laughs> secure all right, so real quick, we've talked about foldable devices in the past, and there's a new rumor from Ross Young. He's from the dis display supply chain stuff, and he thinks that there's going to be a 20.5-inch foldable notebook for 2025, a couple years from now. No foldable iPad, quote says different. I looked at our article, and maybe you can explain this because you, you wrote it, but we now have a new rumor score, which I was like pleasantly surprised. I said, this is really cool. And I guess it lets you know the credibility. Talk to me about the rumor score. This rumor score will pop up uh, in different, slightly different ways, depending on how you view it. But there's really only four scores. It goes from likely to possible to unlikely to BS, uh, the cuss word. So, <laughs> and we, we have it censored out. Basically, we've been covering rumors. Obviously, it's like our, ho our whole thing uh, for the longest time, you know, more granular Apple news and rumors. That's what we do. Mm -hmm. People have been asking, why don't you cover this such and such person? What about this rumor that we saw? And it's like, that's nonsense. It doesn't, it, it's just, it's so wrong. It can't be right. <laughs> like, why would we cover something like that? And we've, we've had discussions about it and finally just came to the conclusion. Okay. We need a way to say, how likely is this rumor going to be? So now 
on rumor-based articles, maybe not patents, but like things from people. So scores from like people like Mark Gurman or Ming-Chi Kuo, or say the teenage high schooler person who's making stuff up about China supply chain stuff. Like now we can comment on all of those and have a way of saying before you even start reading the article, know that this is complete nonsense or know that this is actually very possible. Right. And so, yeah, you'll, you'll see those popping up from now on. Uh, like, for example, we rated the uh, 20.5 inch laptop rumor possible um, because it is possible that Apple will eventually introduce some kind of foldable. And yes, I can hear you now. A foldable laptop is not, <laughs> it does fold now, but we're talking about the display. <laughs> we're talking about the display. Uh huh. Uh, yeah. If you're, if you're reading our rumors, you'll see that from now on. That is very cool. I like it. I have a quick hot take about this. Um, we'll see. I'm not saying I'm going to shave my eyebrows or anything if this doesn't happen. I don't think Apple is ever going to make a device that is foldable where the screen itself folds. I don't think it's ever going to happen. That's fair. So, no, I actually made that argument. Um, I, I've kind of gone on a roller coaster here. We have been covering foldables since Samsung first did it uh, years ago. I don't remember anymore, 2016, 19, somewhere in there. And it's like, where's Apple's? It's like, well, they're they're probably working on it. And then there was evidence of them working on it, patents, uh, different leaks. There's very likely a folding device of multiple sizes inside of Apple right now getting worked on with some sort of iPad OS system on it. Just because they're working on it doesn't mean it's ever going to release. And the foldable phenomenon has always been a fad and very likely always will be unless the price drops dramatically. I believe the Samsung folds can get up into the $2,500 range depending on how you spec them out. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I don't see this because I don't see the value of it. You're not adding yeah. any functionality. You're not increasing creativity. You're not giving users a better, you might even be giving them a worse screen or a worse display, a, a worse touch experience, uh, less longevity, yeah. uh, less battery life. There's so many lesses. And the only plus you get is it kind of folds and it's a little bit smaller when you store it, but it's also twice as thick. So again, so many minuses they just keep going and then you get one or two pluses and apple's probably looking at that like no yeah this just isn't our brand this isn't our value now that doesn't mean in the future they can't somehow make this work because it just that's just what displays are now and that's just what technology is now but i don't think that's 2025 yeah but i'm with you it's possible because that's why that's the difference between yeah. possible and likely likely is this is so this makes so much sense because it definitely will happen at some point in the future because it, it's just right. how Apple works. But possible is could happen, but it doesn't have to happen. And I'll also maybe the technology changes so significantly in the next five to 10 years that it becomes more likely, as you are saying. But with how careful Apple is with their displays mm. and how much I think pride they take in their display technology. And like you look at the iPad Pro XDR screen, it's incredible. Even things like the studio display, which looks amazing. You know, I think that kind of care they take into their display technology, having something with a crease or something that just does not look to the standards that Apple is typically known for. I just don't I don't see it happening. So it feels to Android like the, the like what would the iPhone or iPad look like or how would it behave and it changing operating system styles midway through a fold like it all doesn't yeah. it just doesn't sound like Apple. <laughs> So we yeah. have three competing rumors just to to round it up real quick. Yeah. Ming-Chi Kuo came out of the gate saying 2024, there will be an iPad mini seven 
and a folding iPad of some kind in the mini form factor. Doesn't necessarily have to be an iPad mini, it's just that size um, coming in that year. And then German comes, you know, a few hours later, I haven't heard anything about a foldable. And then <laughs> right. I think a couple days later, maybe a day later, uh, Ross Young also says, no idea, haven't heard anything about an iPad mini foldable, but that folding laptop thing that's 20.5 inches, which has been mentioned a few times before, is still coming in 2025. The ELEC, uh, that publication, I think it's Korean maybe, they, they've they said that uh, they have a whole foldable timeline. Uh, go, go f- we'll have to find it for the show notes, but there's we have a post where the ELEC was just like 2024 through 2027, every foldable Apple's going to release. Like, so they're definitely talking about it and there's some sort of internal something or supply chain knowledge happening here i just don't know i they're probably making um hundreds of these what are they called uh like the the pre-engineering review devices where they build it and and bring it to think to test it uh testing devices yeah um but they're not actually manufacturing them at massive scale so i think something's getting tripped up on here because I'm with you. It just doesn't seem right. realistic. All right. Next time you're on, there's been some breaking news. I want to just mention here at the end of the show. Next time you're on, Wes, I want to talk about mechanical keyboards because I have some thoughts on it. And uh, I had got lots of thoughts from Mastodon and Twitter. Brad Thornborough was talking to me about the K8 and others. So we'll get to that the next time you're on, Wes. That's a, that's a timeless topic. But very quickly, kind of new news. Mark Gurman broke this at Bloomberg. Jeff Williams is now going to be the direct report for the industrial design team. Evans Hankey who announced her departure as the industrial design chief at Apple. Apple has announced that they will not be replacing that particular position, industrial design chief. Instead, the industrial design team will just report directly to uh, Jeff Williams, which is an interesting omission amongst the ranks. That was kind of the Johnny Ive position, you know, as kind of the design head. Evans Hankey was there, and now uh, no one will be there. It will just be the industrial design team directly to Jeff Williams. So it's an interesting change in Apple's structure. Yeah. I, for sure. I can't wait for everyone to be like, there's Apple no longer has design chief. Therefore there's no more design at Apple, you know? <laughs> well, and I, you know, I'd be curious if people would think like, maybe it's like an economy type thing, but I don't think that's, it's Apple. You know I mean? I don't, if they wanted to have an industrial design chief position, they could buy one, you know, like they could pay for that position. Yeah. They, they just don't have, they just don't have a single person that fits those shoes. They just have a team, you know, remnants right. of Johnny I's team plus new guys, you know, it's all, intermixed but i I guess they they're just saying we don't have a single person to point at and say hey you're the guy choosing to make an eighteen thousand dollar 18 karat gold watch so i think it's fine all right well listeners let us know what do you think about anything we talked about mastodon and mastodon and twitter or matt i don't know just post it up you can reach wes and i both of us are on mastodon and twitter those links are in the show notes where you can support the show get an ad-free version all those links are in the show notes as well thank you for tuning in we'll give our thoughts on homepod in the next episode hands-on experience thanks for listening we'll catch you next time